dad, daddy-o, pop, padre, whatever you call him. He's your dad, he's your dad. Dads, coming up next on this edition of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. What is happening, my fine feathered friends out there in cyber world downloading this latest edition of the Gratitude Journal podcast. Hopefully everything in your world is, if it's not spectacular, it's good or fair or decent or recovering or just, uh, you know, a-okay. Hopefully things are not bad or they're not uh, tragic or miserable. Uh, Here in Northeast Ohio, we are right in the throes of summer, right where we should be, really. Well, minus a pandemic, of course. Our temperatures are hovering in the low 80s. It's mildly humid, vacillating between sunshine and clouds. We had a major uh, thunder boomer, as we used to say in the old days of radio broadcasting, when program directors would rush into the room as soon as those words emerged from my mouth and they would say, don't say thunder boomers, they're thunderstorms. We had one of those, but prior to that, really, like five days of just remarkable, immaculate summer weather even though we are technically not at the summer plateau yet. But we're almost there. So no complaints from this guy here. I've gone through about five lawn mowings already. And um, so that part is uh, good. I have it down again. You know, Sometimes it takes me a while to uh, rev things up and get back in the groove. And I've realized in my advancing years that uh, lawn mowing, and we have a couple of hills because our house sits slightly on a hill, uh, lawn mowing is something that uh, I will not miss when I firmly retire from lawn mowing. So, (laughs) So there you go. I don't have a budget for a riding mower, so I'll be a push guy for quite some time. Uh, but, uh, sometimes in the throw, in the throngs of heat and humidity, it does tend to get to me. So it has been, uh, a challenging series of days since, uh, the recording of the last podcast and my sense of gratitude has in some ways, shapes and forms escaped me. I have to admit a number of things have occurred, which I won't trouble you with, at least during this recording. But I remarked to uh, an old friend of mine who was actually a student of mine that I really felt like it was getting tougher and tougher to find the little glimmers of gratitude and things to be thankful for. And those things have been compounded by the fact that I really haven't been feeling all that terribly well over the past couple of days. And I think I've mentioned before in other podcasts that this is really the time of the year where the pollen forces come together in this sort of magnanimous symphony of gunk 
and they just kind of lay the hammer down. And because I'm really not taking any kind of medication for it, and that may be because of just pure stupidity, that I suffer. And I've had this kind of chest tightening, and I've had a little bit of a cough. So naturally, you know what I'm, you know where I'm going with this, right? And so I take my temperature every morning, and I don't have a temperature, and I don't feel aches and pains. But that doesn't mean that I don't have dun da da da. You know what? And so I'm kind of worried a little bit. And so I remarked to Donna this morning that, you know, if I'm still kind of feeling this way, uh, I might kind of get a hold of my doctor and kind of see what's going on. But I really haven't felt uh, all that great. In fact, yesterday I was really having trouble breathing. And I was chalking it up to just the fact that the uh, air seemed thick to me and that I was just maybe just lacking, I don't know, baseball, maybe? Or at least that's what I was blaming it on. So hopefully at the time of the next podcast recording, I'll have an update on if anything strange or weird or dynamic is going on, or maybe I'm just being overly dramatic. So I hope everything is cool. But I had remarked to Amy that I really felt like the little glimmers of light were particularly dim at this time. And it occurred to me, though, it occurred to me that I no sooner hit send on that email. And it occurred to me that Father's Day was right around the corner. Now, the people who know me really kind of know that I'm I'm a little bit of a skeptic. I'm a little bit of a pessimist. I'm a little bit of a glass half empty person, not because I don't want to be an optimist, not because I don't want to be a glass half full person, not because I don't buy into it. It's just always been a natural inclination of mine to lean towards just a little bit of the negative, always be just a little bit distrusting. And not that it's helped me at all when buying a used car or anything like that, because I usually get swindled anyway, but that's the way I've kind of always been. And so the whole, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, certainly Sweetest Day, even though I would get my proverbial ass kicked if I didn't show up with the Sweetest Day card. Um, I've always been a little bit, okay, here we go. These enormous money-making ventures. But it occurred to me that Father's Day is, is coming up. And it was also coincidental that during the last visit to my father, it happened to be one of the worst visits ever, like in the last five years. I mean, it was just a pathetic visit. And so I preface this podcast and I preface the, the, the gratitude that I'm about to share with you with the fact that <laughs> I just had a pathetic visit with him this past weekend. And Donna and I went down to drop off some things. We had our masks and we said, okay, well, it'd been almost, what, 21 days since we traveled. We felt safe. 
And so we thought, you know, we're going to get our masks. We're going to drop in for a couple of minutes. We're going to say hello and um, we're going to drop these things off. And I mean, he could not have been in a worse mood. He could not have been more unwelcoming. And it was just pathetic. And it was one of those things where we just turned to each other and we said, you know, let's just get the hell out of here. I mean, we need to leave anyway. And this just rushes things along. And so I stewed about this visit for about an hour. And then a couple of days later, I sort of wore off a little bit. Now, in the old days, in the old days, my father would have realized how much of a doofus he was. And he would have called me. Like he would have called up and said, something unrelated to the visit, just to let me know that he knew that he was a douchebag. And, you know, I think we're okay, right? That was kind of his way. But those things obviously don't happen now. Now that you know, both of my parents are approaching, you know, age 92, those things don't happen. Still, it was just a bad visit. But it doesn't take away from the fact that coincidentally, Father's Day is here. And it makes me grateful for many things about my father. But three things, three quick things that I want to get to. And hopefully, if your father is still alive, and even if your father is not alive, that hopefully you will be able to bask in some of the gratitude, to share in some of the gratitude during this upcoming Father's Day. And we can both, you know, share you know, some of the goodness that is our fathers, if that is indeed your experience with your dad. My father was a teacher for over 30 years. And that was really after working a variety of jobs, including working at a steel mill in Cleveland at the age of 16. And he often talks about leaving the hills of West Virginia to go and live with his sister so that he could earn money for the family. Because this is what people did for their families. They worked illegally. They went to cities that were strange. And that's what they did. But he always harbored this interest in sports because my father was very, very good at sports. And my father was a catcher. And almost immediately out of high school, my father got into the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. And my father was actually called up to Pittsburgh for two weekend series as kind of a fill-in catcher. Now, I've never really heard all of the exact details about 
how this happened. I mean, based on my minute knowledge of minor league baseball and how people sort of matriculate through the system. However, this happened, he arrived in Pittsburgh for a weekend series against the Brooklyn Dodgers. And then several weekends later, arrived in Pittsburgh for a weekend series against the Cincinnati Reds. Both of these series, he recalls with, in some cases, exacting details. And you should know this about my father, that even though dementia has made its mark, it, this has only been a recent activity because my father can remember some extremely salient details. And some of these details are things that he still brings up. And some of these details are things that I've never heard before. And, you know, he talks often about uh, hitting a bat batting practice home run in Old Forbes Field. In fact, when Donna and I lived in Pittsburgh, we would go over to that area and what is now Forbes Field is a series of buildings on the University of Pittsburgh campus. And what they've done is they actually kept a series of walls that made up the home run fence, the home run wall at Forbes Field. They kept a portion of what was the third baseline and they kind of sort of marked it out in brick. And then it moved down towards home plate. And what was home plate is actually inside of a building. I, I think it could be like a, you know, a technology office or something like that. You know, one of the one of the buildings that houses classrooms and right in the middle of a hallway where students are trudging back and forth with, you know, backpacks on and encased in glass inside the marble of this floor is home plate at Forbes Field. So I remember specifically taking photos when we were living in Pittsburgh of home plate and saying, Dad, this is where you stood and hit that batting practice home run. I, I, could I got him over to Pittsburgh for various you know, football games, but I could never get him over to the campus to actually see Forbes Field, which was always sort of a regret of mine. But um, that was one of the, you know, the, the, the grand achievements of his time within the Pirates organization. He talks about wandering down the tunnel in the dugout to go out onto the field during that weekend series against the Dodgers and Jackie Robinson standing there talking to someone else and Jackie Robinson giving him this wicked look as veterans will do naturally to rookies and and you know kind of sneering at him and my father talking about this with you know unbelievable pride he talks about you know, coming out of his hotel room and coming down into the lobby and Ted Klazuski from the Reds is there and, and my dad having breakfast at a buffet with Ted Klazuski. I mean, these are things that you obviously you never forget. And it was just amazing that he still recalls, you know, the details in the hotel lobby. And I mean, these are wonderful stories to continue to hear over and over again. But, you know, this journey, this baseball journey, you know, didn't last long because, you know, my, you know, my grandfather was in ill health and then later passed away. And, you know, various brothers and sisters had to, you know, help with the family, you know, business. They had a lumber business for a while and, and a couple of them, you know, went off to work. And my father was one of those people who went off to work. And, you know, this was a, a common thing.
This brings me into one of the first things that I'm very grateful for when it comes to my father. And I think I'm probably as grateful for it as the rest of my siblings are, even though I'm the only sibling, I'm the only one out of seven who does not have children, is that I think our father, and again, along with our mother, really taught us how to sacrifice for our family. You know, a school teacher doesn't make a lot of money. And in today's multi-income families, that structure is very common. But when we were growing up, that structure was not very common. My mother's role was full-time, but she was a full-time domestic caretaker of the home. She did not bring in an income. So this minuscule income of a industrial arts teacher at a high school was the income. And we all know that that wasn't enough income to clothe and feed eventually seven children. So my father did what a lot of people had to do. He had to take multiple jobs. In many cases, he worked jobs in the evening when he would come home. Or he coached so that he could get extra money. Or he was a referee so he could get extra money. And in the summer, he worked a multitude of jobs. I remember him sharing with us that at, some, at one point, he had four different jobs that he worked in addition to being a school teacher. And because he was really skilled at woodworking, and he was skilled at metalworking too, but woodworking was really uh, his forte. He would oftentimes get these part-time jobs at furniture stores. And while he would build things, he was also very skilled at refinishing furniture and refinishing you know, cloth fabric and the backings and the undersides of you know, chairs and lounge chairs and chase lounges. And so a lot of times he would come home from work and I remember my mom having a plate. I remember, I still remember the hamburger and the French fries sitting on the plate and he would come in and he would basically, you know, talk very quickly. He would wolf this food down and he would get on some plain shirt and a, you know, plain green shirt and a plain green pair of pants and black shoes. And he would, you know, grab a a bag with some other snacks in it and he would leave and he would work till 10 o'clock that night at the furniture store or he would go to two different furniture stores. He would work maybe till seven at one and then he would travel to another furniture store and work at that other furniture store till 10 or 10.30 at night and he would do this five nights a week. In the summertime, he would work a plethora of different jobs. I can oftentimes remember sitting out on the front stoop with my friends in the middle of summer and this auto parts truck would drive up and it would stop in the driveway in the middle of the afternoon. And my father dressed in his auto parts shirt and his auto parts hat would go in and grab a quick lunch and then he would head back out. Remember him waving in that little green truck. It looked like, a, like an S10 
and off he'd go to, to deliver auto parts. So he did what he had to do. And I think he taught us that that's what you do. You do what you have to do to provide for your family. The other thing that I'm grateful for, and there have been times where my gratitude for this has been a struggle, but I'm grateful that my father put a lot of importance on sports. The downside is that he taught us virtually nothing about his woodworking skill. And I said to Donna the other day, think about that. My father not only taught students from the ground up how to put two pieces of wood together to form an L bracket to make however many different things to make, but taught them how to build a bookshelf, how to build a stool, how to build a bench, and then I looked around our house, and our house growing up was dotted with all of the things that he would make. Everything from hutches that held shelves where my mother would store telephone bills and everything else. He, would, he built the bench that we sat on to talk on the phone. He built the cabinet that held the china in the dining room. He built the end, end tables that held the lamps that sat next to his chair. And not only did he build them, but he finished them, varnished them, lacquered them. They made them look exceptional. I mean, these pieces would sell for hundreds of dollars in a store. And they were beautiful. They were fashioned on a lathe, and they looked meticulous and beautiful. And if you've ever watched Home Time or Hometown or whatever that's called, the, the, the fun couple in Mississippi and the beautiful woodworking that Ben Napier does. My father did every bit that kind of work. And, and he did it with dexterity and skill. And he never taught any of it to us. Nothing! My father never taught us how to pound a nail. Zip. Zilch. But he made sure that we knew how to catch a ball. He made sure we knew how to hit. He made sure we knew how to hand, handle a bat, how to field a ground ball, how to put our fingers on the laces of the football properly, how to reel in the football and catch it properly, how to tackle someone without hurting your neck, how to place the hands on the basketball properly, how to bank the ball off the backboard into the net how to dribble and switch hands from left to right, how to bounce pass, how to chest pass. He taught us these things before we ever got in front of a coach in grade school. These things were very, very important. And it made me become a catcher in Little League. I wanted to be a catcher because he was a catcher. And nothing made me happier 
then after a little league game was for him to say, you did a good job out there. That was great how you threw that guy out at second base. My father never sat in the stands at Little League games. He sat in a lawn chair at least 50 yards behind center field, way out in the middle of the grass, all by himself. That's where he enjoyed watching. And I would sit behind the plate waiting for the pitcher, and I would look a little to my right behind the pitcher, and way out in the distance, this little speck sitting in a chair was my father. And he saw every minute detail of that game, and he could recall every minute detail of that game. But he never taught us how to pound a nail. But I think he knew that it was more important for us to learn sports because we would eventually enjoy it more than learning how to fashion a piece of wood on a lathe. And in the end, I think that he actually enjoyed sports more than woodworking, even though he was probably better at woodworking. The people in West Virginia call him the greatest athlete in Thomas, West Virginia. So I may be wrong about that. I may be wrong about that. He may not be better at woodworking than he was at sports. He may be better at sports. And maybe that's why he preferred that we learn sports more than learn the skill that he seemed most adept at. I'm grateful for many things when it comes to my father, but on this day, the 19th of June, in the year 2020, I think I'm most grateful because he's still with us, and so is my mother. That they're both with us, it amazes me that having turned 60 years old, that when there wasn't a pandemic, that I would sit in that sofa in their small apartment and I would look across from them and I would say to myself, my parents are still alive, like they're still here. And aside from bouts with dementia and a couple of other health issues that are probably fairly common for people in their early 90s, they're not in exceptionally bad shape. And I'm really grateful that I still have the opportunity to spend time with my parents and especially my dad. For a long time, I've always preferred to call him Pop. I've just always admired people who called their dad Pop. And maybe at an early age, early when I worked at the grocery market, illegally, I might add, just like my father worked illegally in the steel mill, 
I worked with a guy who called his dad Pop. And I thought to myself, I'm going to call my dad Pop. And so I remember going home later that day and calling him Pop, and he didn't say anything. And so I've been calling him Pop ever since. And at age 60 and at his age of almost 92, he still hasn't said anything. And I've noticed that no other of my siblings call him Pop. So I feel like he and I have that. I also must admit, though, that we don't have a perfect relationship, and I don't think anybody has a perfect relationship. I've often thought that I wanted a more perfect relationship with my father. I've witnessed other people who have much more of a bonding relationship. And maybe my other brothers have that kind of relationship with my father. I don't think they do. I could be wrong. But I've often wanted a more personal relationship with him. And I think in some ways we've had that <laughs> over beer because I years ago introduced him to the world of craft beer and my father's always been a beer drinker but he's always been a swill drinker until I introduced him and then we created a monster and my father hasn't paid for a beer in two decades my father would be shocked at what a price of a pint costs in a brew pub or what a decent IPA six-pack actually costs since he's never paid for it. But now he would never drink a Bud Light. And I bring him only good beer. He doesn't remember the names of it. And usually it's dark beer because a doctor once told him years and years ago Ed, if you're going to have beer, drink darker beer. It's better for you. And while there are many studies out that corroborate that, he's convinced that dark beers are better for him. And so those are the beers that I bring to him. And so I'll say to him, hey, what did you think of that Doppelbach that I brought to you last week? And he'll look down at the floor and he'll say, is it still in the fridge? And I'll say, nope. And he'll say, nah, I must have liked it. So I get to hear his made-up words. I get to hear his, his made-up language. I get to hear his nicknames for my sister Kay. Kitten, kitten, who's got the mitten? And my sister Emma. Emma Bean. And his fake named ball players that he always mentions when we were growing up Pete Payankas and Joe Mariotz players I know never existed but we were convinced as kids they did and I get to continue to ask him why he would come down in the morning and grab our earlobes and twist them first thing in the morning or why he would squeeze our shoulders so hard we would beg him to stop 
It was just his way. Or why he would infuriate us after a night of drinking. When he wouldn't even look up from his newspaper and he would say, Matthew, you can't stay out all night with the owls and fly with the eagles in the morning. So for all those things, I'm grateful on this kind of made-up day called Father's Day. And I realize that you really don't need one day to be grateful for dear old lovable dad. Because I'm pretty grateful for my dad just about every day. Even when he's in a piss-poor mood like he was last week. (laughs) Hopefully, if I bring him some delicious Doppelbach as soon as I feel more comfortable in visiting... Maybe he'll be in a little better mood. So if your pop is still around, make sure you stop by and say hey. Give him a hug if that's what you do. Share a beverage if that's what you do. Have a game of catch if that's what you do. Wish I could still do that with my dad. I also appreciate you downloading the podcast and subscribing to the podcast. It's always nice to get emails from people who say they are new subscribers and are looking forward to future episodes and pass the word. Always nice to hear other people who keep a gratitude journal or are just grateful for the little things. It's tough. It's been very tough to find the little things amidst all of the other gunk that's going on. And I think you noticed throughout this time period, I haven't coughed. That's good. This is good. This is good news. And my breathing is is pretty good. So we'll see. We'll see how the weekend goes. In the meantime, I'll look forward to visiting with you again on the next episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast.